One of our partner ministries here, The Lift, is something that we are so happy to have been a part of for so many years. And we have the privilege of having their executive director and fearless leader, Sandra Unger. So please help me welcome Sandra up. Thanks, Shauna. I am here to be fearless. I'm so excited about being fearless. That's just kind of a, I'm excited about it. Okay, before we get into the sermon, I wanted to uh, give you an update on my brother, Jerry. When I was here in July, June, sometime this summer, I spoke about him. He, for the last few years, has suffered with something called CRPS with chronic pain in his left foot. He was an athlete, and he hasn't been able to sleep, run, hardly walk for the last few years. And he was kind of out of options when I spoke. They'd tried all of the surgeries, all of the implants. And so I wanted to bring you an update that he, at the end of October, had a new thing tried, which is to put a stim router in his, connected to the nerve in his affected leg. And... He has three months to improve, uh, where they keep jiggling around the connections and making it better. And he already, after just two months, has um, had, can stand, walk, ride in a car, leave his shoe on for longer. Much less discomfort. I appreciate your prayers so much. And he wanted to share, we wanted me to share with you that he has been surprised by hope. Because this summer, he just felt like he was out of options. And... The other cool thing is that this device and the surgery is $50,000 for all of the follow-up and, and everything. And his wife retired from the school district and has great insurance, and so their copay is $600. And so that's just another cool thing in the middle of it. So keep praying. He has a ways to go. He has another month. But just to, my, I talked to my nephew who was with him at Christmas and said he just hasn't seen that Jerry in a long time. So I'm really excited about that. So thank you for your prayers. All right, it's almost 2020. It makes me kind of nervous. I really can't believe it. But I wanted to share that in 1976, as a 10-year-old, I was marching in a bicentennial parade, wearing the stars and stripes and thinking, wow, in the year 2000, I'm going to be 34. I wonder if I'll still be alive. (laughs) And now it's 2020, and I'm 42, and I'm still alive. And I still can't do math, so that's cool. So this is the time of year that we make resolutions, some of us, to be a better person in some way, right? To eat better, to exercise more, to read our Bible, to be kind, all very important things. But the statistics are not good. They say that between 80 to 90% of our resolutions fail. And so I wanted to share two important memes that capture this failure rate. I can't believe it's been a year since I didn't become a better person. (laughs) There's always another year. And I'm opening a gym called Resolutions. It will have exercise equipment for the first two weeks and then turn into a bar for the rest of the year. So I feel like there's a good business plan in there somewhere. So I want to offer a caveat, which is that it's time to talk about New Year's resolutions, but really, as followers of Christ, the transforming God, resolutions are all the time, right? That's what we're called in the power of the Holy Spirit to become better, to do better. So this is a sermon that we're preaching at the resolution time of year, but it could just as easily be preached in June, and I wish it was June, because then the weather would be better. But here we are, here we are in December, and we're going to talk about resolutions that are really for all year long. And what I want to ask first is why don't resolutions work? Why do we fail at such an alarming rate? And here's what psychology today has to say about that. They say everyone has stories about themselves that drive their behavior. 
These self-stories are operating at all times and have a powerful influence on our actions and our decisions. And the best, and some would say the only way to get significant and lasting change is by changing your self-story. So what is your self-story? Where did it come from? Are you even aware of it? And if you are, does it need to change? In Walker Percy's novel, The Movie Goer, narrator Binks Bowling's life story is not going the way he wants it to. He feels like his life is meaningless and he's seeking a spiritual awakening. He says he is sunk in the everydayness of life. Everydayness is just a great word and what it's trying to capture is just the mundane usual things we do every day. They seem unimportant, they flow one after another, after another, after another until we die. And how he's feeling is that's where he's stuck. And he's about to turn 30. So think of the level of everydayness for those of us who are just slightly older than 30. It goes on and on and on and on. And many of our resolutions are mired in this everydayness. Eat better, call your mom, go to the gym, drink less, and on and on, the everyday things. And those aren't necessarily bad things because these are the things our real life is made of. So we need to pay attention to them. But we also need to pay attention to the underlying stories that we tell ourselves. So if you resolve to become a healthy eater, it's not the most thrilling thing in the world. It's basic everyday stuff, it's important. But maybe you have a story operating at the deepest part of you that reminds you regularly that you are in fact an unhealthy eater. And it's possible you don't even know that that story is operating. It's a subconscious thing that's happening. And so becoming a healthy eater is going to be quite difficult. So here's a story, it's January 3rd, you've resolved to eat healthier, and you're driving down the road, and you gotta stop to get some food, and you have a choice between a Big Mac and a kale salad. <laughs> and what you think is, I can't drive while eating a salad. <laughs> Of course. And so you get the Big Mac and you think, well, this was a good choice because it's what I always do. I am an unhealthy eater and my story is safe. Our stories, big and small, are rooted in the things that our deepest selves believe are true about the world and our person. Not the explicit answers that we would give if someone says, what do you believe about, is true about the world? But rather in the implicit and often subconscious and everyday things that drive the plot of the story that we tell and live. And so I want us to think about changing how we view our everydayness and how we view our resolutions about everydayness. In Romans 12, Paul talks about this very thing, and this is from the message. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. 
So that's pretty exciting. It gives us hope for the everydayness of life. None of us want to be mired in the everydayness, in the mundane, but we have to do mundane things, right? Like take down the Christmas decorations. And Paul is giving value to these things. Sleeping, eating, working, walking. God works in these places of everydayness. So today we're going to talk about four ordinary exercises of everydayness, and they can shape our stories and bring meaning to the small things of life. And I want us to consider exercising more as one of our resolutions. I'm sure no one has ever made that resolution. But these are different kind of exercises. These are the exercises we saw Jesus do when he was here on earth. And the first exercise is sit down. You guys are doing so great at this right now. This is impressive. Woohoo! Props to you. All right, it's a different kind of sitting down. In Matthew 11, it says, Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Whose soul does not need rest right about now? It sounds easy to sit down. We do it all the time. But the kind of sitting down I'm talking about is not so easy. There's a Zen proverb that says, you should sit in meditation 20 minutes a day, unless you're too busy, and then you should sit for an hour. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Sitting down, slowing down, helps us remember what life is about. It reminds us to fix our attention on God, even in the everyday things, to find our identity in Christ, even in the mundane. Instead of the culture around us that wants to drag us down to their level of immaturity, we get to be dragged up to the level of maturity in Christ. So let me clarify that by sitting down, even though you guys are doing a great job technically of that right now, that's not the kind. It's not the kind of sitting down where we have a screen in front of us, which is most of the time. It's not the kind of sitting down where we're watching TV or paying the bills. Those are all fine things. But the key is to learn to sit in stillness and not try to accomplish external things because this is about our internal world. Now, for those of you who sit down and try to be quiet and, and get quite terrified and traumatized because that's a real thing. Sometimes we sit down and we try to be quiet and the voices from our past and the voices of shame crowd everything out and it's not restful and it's not relaxing and it doesn't form maturity in us. That's a very real thing and I just want to say to you, you're okay. The way that I would approach this if you are a person who struggles with that is to sit down for one minute in silence and to do it in a room with a friend who's safe. It's worth trying to rid ourselves of those voices of shame because that's how we move more toward becoming the transformed person that Jesus wants us to be. I've actually been sitting down a great deal more the last few years. Cancer will do that to you. It kind of pulls your feet out from under you and forces you to sit down, literally and figuratively. So I've started reading poetry, and I wanted to ask if anyone else realized that you can't read poems in a hurry, because um, I, I didn't understand that small point. Uh, I wondered always why I didn't appreciate poetry more fully, because I'm a reader, but I found that it's because you don't quite get to the depths of it when you read it at warp speed. That's not the kind of thing that it is. 
So I want to share with you one of the poems that I've recently discovered called Stillness by Mary Oliver. Today I'm flying low and I'm not saying a word. I'm letting all the voodoos of ambition sleep. The world was on as must. The bees in the garden rumbling and so forth. I'm taking the day off quiet as a feather. I hardly move. There's stillness. One of the doors in the temple. Oh, it's so meaningful. Did you guys feel that? The importance of just sitting with those thoughts? Let's try again. Today... I'm flying low, and I'm not saying a word. I'm letting all the voodoos of ambition sleep. The world goes on as it must, the bees in the garden rumbling a little, the fish leaping, the gnats getting eaten, and so forth. But I'm taking the day off, quiet as a feather. I hardly move, though really I'm traveling a terrific distance. Stillness, one of the doors into the temple. So if you're sitting there saying, I kind of liked the first version best, <laughs> or if you were thinking the second time, hurry up, lady, I don't have all day for this poem, then this exercise is for you. Sit down and be still and slow down. That would be a good exercise about now, post-chaotic holidays. It's an everyday thing that we rarely get around to. And I want to extend this sit-down thing just a little bit to lay down. It's just a slight change in position. And I want to talk about the importance of sleep for just a minute. Berkeley neuroscientist Matthew Walker recently published a book that's getting a lot of press right now called Why We Sleep. And he describes scientifically how lack of sleep makes us vulnerable to cancer, Alzheimer's, depression, anxiety, obesity, stroke, chronic pain, diabetes, and heart attacks, among other medical conditions. If you have one night, he says, in which you only get four or five hours of sleep, your natural killer cells, and these are the ones that attack the bad cells that enter your body every day, drops by 70% one night of four to five hours. So here's what I wonder, given that these things are scientifically proven facts, why is it cool to not sleep very much? Am I the only one who sees this? It's cool to be a person who doesn't need much sleep. Someone says, oh, I hardly sleep at all. I can get by on three hours, and we all stand in amazement. How about, I only sleep three hours because I'm trying really hard to have a stroke, get diabetes, be depressed, and have a heart attack. Woo! That's what we should be saying. It's not cool to not sleep. Matthew Walker says, we have stigmatized sleep with the label of laziness. We want to seem busy, and one way we express that is by proclaiming how little sleep we're getting. It's a badge of honor. We chastise people for sleeping what are, after all, only sufficient amounts. We think of them as slothful. No one would look at an infant baby asleep and say, what a lazy baby! <laughs> we know sleeping is non-negotiable for a baby, but that notion is quickly abandoned as we grow up. Humans are the only species that deliberately deprive themselves of sleep for no apparent reason. I've literally been walking around this week looking at babies and being like, what a lazy baby! And then I've been kind of jealous of them as well because they are getting the appropriate amount of sleep. According to Walker, the number of people who can survive on five hours of sleep or less without any impairment rounded to a whole number is zero. You cannot do it. And don't come up to me afterwards and be like, but I can't. But you can't because you don't even know. Your killer cells are like, help, help. You want to be lazy babies in some way. 
Our brains are designed to work this way. God made us to be still and to sleep, and we do not do it enough. With intentionality, this exercise can make the ordinary activities, the everyday activities of sitting and sleeping quite profound. This kind of quiet time can help us recognize the stories we're telling. They come to the surface as we sit in silence, especially the unhelpful parts. We cannot address what we do not know is there. So we sit quietly and the Holy Spirit brings to mind these things that we need to work on and think about. And it's hard to do that when you're running around like a crazy person. It's like the Holy Spirit is coming after us. I have something to tell you. And we're like, I'm busy doing things for Jesus. That is not how this works. We also, when we sleep and sit, gain a rested soul, a rested body. We get perspective and insight. So our first exercise is to sit down. And our second one is shut up. <laughs> I asked if I was allowed to say shut up in church and they said that I could. So there it is, shut up. You do not have to say out loud everything that enters your head. And I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands if anybody knows this person who says everything that enters your head because we all do and maybe we are it. But you do not have to say everything that enters your head. And the Bible warns us of the dangers of our tongue. In James it says, so also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity, sin. It stains the whole body, sets on fire the cycle of nature, and is itself set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species, but no one can tame the tongue a restless evil full of deadly poison. Go and be blessed. <laughs> I mean, what a happy thought. We're carrying around a restless evil full of deadly poison. It sets on fire hell and all of that fun stuff. But it's so true. The tongue can do so much damage. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but... We knew when we were six that that wasn't true because our friend said a mean thing and called us a name and we were devastated. We'd all rather get hit in the forehead by a rock than have our friend betray us with mean words. We'd also not like to be hit by a rock, but if we had to choose. <laughs> James also says, you must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Let's talk about listening for a minute. This verse gives us another reason to shut up, which is we have to learn this important skill. You cannot listen when you are talking. You cannot listen well when you are thinking of what you want to say next. You cannot listen until you learn to sit down and be quiet and look someone in the eye, lean in, and take the attention off yourself. And this takes practice. It takes a lot of practice, but if we are able to master this exercise, we gain some things. One of them is friends. Everyone likes to be listened to. We gain perspective again, wisdom, discipline, awareness of others. If we only get around to learning these two exercises, sitting down and shutting up, we will have made tremendous progress. 
Important work has been done. But the last two exercises add a little bit of excitement to all of this sitting around and shutting up stuff. I was going to say nonsense, but it's not nonsense. I just spent 50 years thinking, it was, I mean 30 years thinking it was. All right, sit down, shut up. Exercise three, stand up. Jesus took time. Well, you can. I mean, if you need to right now, that's good. Jesus took time to be quiet and to pray and to be alone and he listened, of course, and he still listens. But he didn't stop there. He did stuff, not frantically, but he did stuff. He noticed the children and the marginalized. He healed people. He walked with friends. He righted wrongs. In James, we're told to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror, for they look at themselves and on going away immediately forget what they were like. And James also asks in chapter 2, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't have works? What is it good to believe something and then do nothing about it? We get our ability, though, to do good works and our capacity for them from God. These are not things that come out of our own energy. These are not good works that we're called to that involve us stressing and straining and striving and going crazy. Those kind of works emerge from our own efforts. In Acts 17, Luke tells us, in him, that is in God, we live and move and have our being. In God, we spend our days doing sometimes mundane and sometimes everyday activities, but we do it in God, with us all the time, in us all the time. He is our motivation and our energy, our battery, if you will, in order to do good works. And part of how God charges our battery is during those times of stillness and silence. After he charges our battery, then we're ready to stand. God is not running around frantically trying to get things done. And Jesus is not running around or did not run around frantically trying to get things done. On the other hand, we humans run around frantically trying to get things done. That's why the Holy Spirit is running after our coattails while we do our good work, saying, have a thing for you, I have something. So if we can learn to do things in a non-frantic way, what do those look like? What do they involve? What do we accomplish? After we sit down and are quiet and we stand up, we do all of our everyday things with passion and mindfulness submitted to God. We use our spiritual gifts for good. We have all been given them. We have things to offer the world out of the power of Christ. We radically love others through the power of Christ. We grow in generosity through the power of Christ. These are the things that we can do in our world to make a difference, to be the hands and feet of Jesus when we stand up. We find meaning when we stand up in everyday things. We make a mark on the world, we become who God calls us to be, and we learn to love radically. These are great things that people of Jesus can bring out into the world through the power of God. So, we sit down, we shut up, we stand up, and the fourth exercise is we speak out. Proverbs 31 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, 
for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Use your voice for the rights of the poor and needy. Jesus spoke up for children, prostitutes, widows, anyone who is marginalized. So I want to share two prepositions with you about how we speak out. Prepositions are parts of speech, for those of you who haven't been in school for a while. (laughs) I kind of forgot to. All right, so the first thing is we speak up with those in need. So there's a phrase, nothing about us without us, that came out of the disability movement and applies really to everyone who's marginalized in every way. So as we try to become a voice, as we try to speak out for others, we need to be a voice for, for those who are struggling, but we need to do it with those who are struggling. We build those relationships, and we find out from them what are the needs. And then we use our position, our power, or money, or privilege to amplify the voices of those who are unheard. We do it with. Second preposition is at, and that is don't speak up at people. I've done this before, it is not effective. Many years ago, I was at the mall with a friend and we were sitting down at the food court and my friend had her purse on the ground and then as two uh, women walked by who were not white, I watched my friend casually reach down and pick up her purse and put it on the seat next to her. And what I would like to say is that I calmly had a conversation about the importance of not having unconscious bias and of recognizing stereotypes and of not being racist, but instead I went kind of berserk and was like, what did you just do? Why did you pick your purse up? I saw what you did, which did not open productive dialogue, surprisingly. <laughs> Speaking up at people is not helpful, and that was just a really immature response, and you know what it else was? It was not. It was not humble. We speak up with humility, we speak out with care for the other. We speak out to accomplish something. And our voices that can be wise and calm and productive, we're gonna bring a lot more fruit than that sort of screechy, gross thing I did. (laughs) Speak up in humility. And when we speak out, we express the will of God in the world, we become a voice for justice. And I think one of the most important things is we help change people's hearts and then they can join us in speaking out. So those are our four exercises for everydayness that we are going to try to practice. Sit down, shut up, stand up, speak out. Some of us are more naturally sit down and shut up people. Anybody would call themselves a sit down and shut up people? Is one in the back? Okay, apparently there's a lot of the other kind here. (laughs) If we are that kind of person, maybe we need to get moving And maybe we need to resolve to focus on the other two exercises. Maybe, something to ponder. Some of us are stand up and speak out people, which apparently 99.9% of us in here are. These are hard, if not impossible, exercises to do well without the first two. By themselves, they can lead to burnout, exhaustion, and they can also do damage to others. If we are not sitting down and being quiet and listening to the spirit, then our words and our actions might not be good words and actions. So we might need to resolve, if we're that kind of person, to practice the first two exercises before we start all of our activities. Not surprisingly, I've always been a mostly stand up and speak out person. Uh, But the past few years have really changed me quite a lot. And oddly, it was really easy for me to write about sitting down 
and shutting up because that's what I've been learning. It was more difficult to write about standing up and speaking out, even though that's kind of a thing that I've been doing forever. This is the work that God's doing in me, and what I've really learned is that it's good to sit before I stand, and it's good to shut up before I speak. And that's a helpful way for me to think about it. Are these words that came from God? Is this an activity that came from God? Well, I'll know that in those silent moments. They're also group exercises. They're group exercises because that's the culture of the Bible, the way it was written, Old New Testament. It was a communal culture, and they did things together. And so you can actually practice sitting down and being quiet with a friend. And like I said earlier, you may need to do that in order to deal with the silence, at least initially. And we stand up and we speak out with like-minded people. That's what we are as the body of Christ. We're a force for good. We want to bring the kingdom of God on earth as is in heaven. It's hard to do that alone. So we do that together. And that's what we're about here. It's not a competition. It's not individualistic. It's not, I shut it up better than you. Did you see that? I did it longer. I'm so good at this humbly sitting still bit. This reminds me of a few years ago, several years ago, I was trying to do yoga, which is a good sit down and, and shut up exercise. And I got home and my husband said, how did yoga go? And I said, it was great. I won. <laughs> okay. Exercise and missing the point, right? <laughs> These are not competitive things. These are exercises in which everyone wins. So in 2020, can we sit down, read the Bible, read poems slowly, grow deeper roots? Can we shut up and learn to be okay with silence and learn to listen to others? Can we stand up and be the people in this world that God has made us to be? And can we speak out for those who have no voice and no power and no position? And can we do these things in ways that make us better people, not busier people? Can we do these things in ways that make us better people and not busier people? Some of you are list makers and perfectionists and type A's. I know you're here. And you're writing these four exercises down in your planner with subpoints and bullets. And I don't want you to do that because that's not the kind of thing this is. I want you to erase them. These exercises don't work that way. And if you're that type of person, here's what you do. When you feel pressure to do something, when you want to join an activity, I say first, sit down and be quiet instead of getting your idea and running out the door like a crazy person trying to accomplish it. First, sit down and be quiet and listen. See if God has an opinion about your plan. Dan Rather once asked Mother Teresa what she said during her prayers. She answered, I listen. So Dan turned the question and asked, well, then what does God say? Mother Teresa smiled with confidence and answered, he listens. Dan was at a loss for, loss for words. And if you don't understand that, Mother Teresa added, I can't explain it to you. But we know, right? We know what it means to sit down and listen and submit our plans. It might not be easy to do and it might not be our regular exercise, but we know that the voice of God will direct us. 
So whether you're a type A list maker or not, I would like us all to grasp the connection between these exercises and our everydayness. These exercises and our resolutions of any kind. And I'm going to tell you a story of my own week that I think illustrates this connection. So Thursday was the day after Christmas. We had family in town, and we were all crammed in the car, and we had to run some errands. So we're driving around together, and our plan, we wanted to leave the house by 12.30. We wanted to go to Macy's and exchange a belt. We wanted to go to the bookstore and use our gift certificates, stop by my office and pick something up, and go to the grocery store and get some bananas. I know you're jealous. This is pretty exciting. <laughs> and we wanted to be home by 5. This is a big plan. This is a big day. We were so excited. So nothing's wrong with any of this. It, you could not get more everydayness than this, right? This is what we do. It's not thrilling. But what I have learned, and certainly not perfectly, is that a day like this is about my family, Dave and Connor and Hadley and Kamal. And it doesn't matter, really, if we leave on time. And it doesn't matter if the lines are long or we get a bad parking space. And it doesn't matter that Hadley wants to bring her dog with us in the car and it gets muddy paw prints on the seat. And it doesn't matter if all the bananas are green. And it doesn't matter at the last second that all the kids had to jump out of the car and run down to Breadsmith because they had to have more carbs. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Resolutions operate up here on the surface of things. So we're going to eat more kale, we're going to go to church more often. We're going to call our mom more often. And our life lives up here, right? We're going to get some bananas and we're going to exchange a belt. This is where those resolutions live and it's where our everydayness is. But the exercises that I'm talking about today are exercises that operate at a way down deeper level. So the questions of Thursday weren't, how were the bananas? The questions were, did I love the people in this car with me? Did I listen? Was it fun? Did I show them Jesus? Did I care more about the people or the clock? Was I happy because we were together regardless of anything else? Did I show irritation when it was completely unnecessary? These exercises take the everydayness of our resolutions, like eat better and exercise, and places them in a life of substance, a life that has deep roots. That's the difference, I think, between having a resolution that succeeds and a resolution that fails, is that the resolutions need to be planted in ground that's becoming substantive, that's growing out of the immaturity of the culture and into the maturity of Christ. That comes first. So these exercises are really about creating fertile ground for other changes that we want to make in our life. When we operate at this level over time and build that foundation, our resolutions will change, our habits will change, our perspectives will change. We're going to become those different people who have a different story by the power of Christ. God will develop well-formed maturity in us. Like all exercises of any kind, when we start at them, we're usually not very good. We keep doing them over and over because we know we'll get better. It's the same with these exercises. We will learn to listen better. We will learn to sit still better. We will learn to be quiet and to also speak out. We will learn to stand up. We will use, learn to use our gifts better. So sitting down, shutting up, standing up, 
speaking out. These exercises do a lot of heavy lifting. For today, we've already been sitting, and I wanted to say that you guys are awesome at it. Some of us have been sleeping, and I'm not going to call you out. Most of you have been shutting up, which I really appreciate. <laughs> Some of you not so much. Um, so, as we get ready to leave, let us stand up and speak out together. So let's do it. Good job. If you are able. Let's read from Proverbs 31 about our call to speak out. Together, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Can the story that we write about ourselves, whether in January or June, include that we are people who are equally able to sit in silence and also people who will walk out into a sometimes scary world and speak truth. They require intentionality. They don't just happen. And I think they're acts of courage. Eleanor Roosevelt famously said, do one thing every day that scares you. And when I read that, I thought of bungee jumping first thing. But in recent years, I've realized that for me, and maybe for some of you, being still and quiet, delving deeper into feelings, being fully present, and listening are often the most courageous of all. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for the story that you've invited us into. And my prayer for each of us today is that we will listen to you and learn our part in the story. And if we are quiet, sitting alone people, help us to be both grateful for that and called out to maybe a different level of living. And if we are people who are out there living and talking all the time and standing up and shouting, help us to sit down and hear your spirit and work on that side of things. And thank you that you meet us where we are and that you love us where we are and that there's no shame in whatever kind of person we are. Help us to be more the people that you've called us to be so we can fully participate in your story. And we are thankful for your work in our lives. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come up forward and get prayer if you need it. And also go in peace and have some kale today because that's the kind of person you are.